Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is love people loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. We prayed this morning for a sweet spirit. Nothing that you can do to make it happen. You just ask for it. The Holy Spirit just shows up, doesn't he? Right? Amen. Would you open your Bibles, please? Mark chapter 2. And as you open up to Mark chapter 2, I just still want to pray. Sometimes you just need to press in, don't you? Father, I just... The breath in my lungs, I'm just very aware that it's you that breathes in us. It's you that breathes life into us. It's you that sustains us. Because it was you that made us you made us as an expression of your love but also to express love and to receive it we often pray Jesus that your spirit move in all aspects of our ministry here. And it's really cool when you show up and we're aware of it. As we read your word, may the story do a work in our heart. May we find ourselves in that story. May we find our communities in that story. And may we understand a little bit more about God who is in that story. It's in your name that we ask this morning. Amen. Mark chapter 2. Well, I didn't even open my Bible yet. I asked you already to. Thus far, in our Forward series, Forward 23 series, I've challenged you and asked you to not merely be a people who pray, but I've asked you and challenged you to be a praying people. There's a difference. People who pray, 
pray when they're supposed to. Sunday mornings, when the pastor's up here, when they're in life group, when the meal's at the table. But a praying people, they live by prayer. They take to heart that it's communion with God. It's a constant communion with God. It's intercession. It's, it's interceding on behalf of others. I've also asked that you pray specifically for this tribe that we call Wapak Naz, that you so kindly come and be a part of. We've asked you to pray for our mission, why we exist. We don't exist just for ourselves, but we exist for other people because it is the church who's on mission to bring the gospel, the hope, the light to the darkness. And pray for our communities. The maps on the walls represent Wapakoneta to my right and the region in which our reach has gone out. And that doesn't show you the people who listen to the podcast on a weekly basis that are not on the map that are not in Ohio, that are across the region of the Midwest. We pray for our communities in which you live. You've been challenged to take those invitation cards that I cannot seem to find on my table because there's a lot of papers. Here they are. To take these challenge cards, or these invitation cards with you as you go about your business and about your day. If you're like, I don't remember that, that's okay. There's some invitation cards right out on the counter. You can grab them as well. Put them in your pocket. And when you're having conversations with friends and coworkers, random people that seem to cross your path, and you see a moment, man, they could really, they need Jesus, and they could really benefit from being with you. Because you are, you're special a good special just hand them a card invite them and when you invite them anticipate them meet them at the door or be their uber bring them here introduce them to people because again you're a cool people I kind of like you and it seems like you like each other if you didn't you wouldn't be here Sit with them, worship with them, show them around, and, you know, take them out to eat. McDonald's is pretty cheap. But you've also been challenged to step into places unknown. Maybe you've never gone. Some of you, I've talked with you, and you've already said, yes, I want to go to Cuba. I don't know what God has, what God's going to do, but I want to be there when he does it. I want to connect with the kingdom of God that's outside of our, our area. The invitation is to you. Now, if you're a teenager, we kind of need your parent to go with you. Uh, kids, we'll wait till you grow up a little bit. Okay? The cost is there. We're going to talk about this over and over and over again. But let me tell you, 
the impact that you desire to have on others will be the impact that happens on your own life. You will see your life and your community and the church and the world with a completely new perspective. The dates are there. We'll keep talking about this as we move forward. So, Mark chapter 2. Let's go there. This is where we've been sitting the last several weeks for this Forward 23. And we're going to start at verse 13. Mark chapter 2, verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. Now, before we move forward, we stayed in Mark chapter 2 on the front end. I want to bring to light and remind you that Jesus is still in Capernaum. He's still in Ground Zero. I actually saw a post from one of my old professors who does trips to Israel just recently. And on one of the compilation videos, I saw a sign in English that said, Capernaum, the town of Jesus. He's still at ground zero, folks. He's still where his ministry flows in and out of. And once again, he's walking. We meet up with him along with the crowd. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. Don't miss that. He began to teach them. Watch what he teaches them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus. In other words, his name's Matthew, by the way. Sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, in other words, when the experts on God saw what Jesus was doing, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples. They didn't, they didn't ask Jesus. No, no, no. They went, they went behind Jesus' back, and they asked his disciples. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call the righteous, not the righteous. I have not come to call... Wow, even the pastor can't get it right. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Heavenly Father, speak. Speak clearly. Even though I fumble and bumble and miss words in the text, may we hear what you have to say. And may we do what it is that you say. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I always thought the most important part of my mom's meals were the meal. The meatloaf. My mom made an amazing meatloaf. Loved it. She knew how to put things together with very little and make it hearty and good. It wasn't the homemade pizza, although 
was pretty good. That wasn't the most important part of the meal. It wasn't the oven. It wasn't the cooking utensils. It was the leaf in the table. Why? Because the leaf in the table, when we would have a meal, the table would come apart and you'd pull the leaf out. Or if it wasn't in the table, you'd have to go find it. And then you put it in and push the table together. Oh, wait, there was a second leaf. So you pull it out, put it in, push it together. And now you not only have a table, but it's a longer table. Why? Because, all right, good deal. There's your sign, God is calling. Why? Because in my parents' house, particularly my mom's house, there was always room for one more right? The leaf on the table opened the table. And we had benches that you would pull out for neighbors, for friends. And I, as I grew up, it wasn't only the leaf at the table, but it was the extra room. It was the extra room in the house that missionaries would come in and stay. Or the random stranger that my mom would meet that didn't have a place to stay. That was really awkward being around the table with. There was always room for one more. Jesus, starting at his Capernaum, his city, went out beside the lake. And as Jesus would teach, it just seemed that if you read the Gospels, it's like people flocked to him, people nothing like him came to him to listen to him and see what he could do for them so a large crowd gathered around him and I noticed for the first time that Mark said and he began to teach them now there are many times in the gospels that I wonder what did Jesus say when it said and he taught them I often wondered when Jesus was face to face with the Pharisees in the middle of a church service and a woman naked caught in adultery was standing before him. I often wondered what he wrote on the ground. But for the very first time reading this text, I realized that actually when it said, when Mark says and he began to teach them, what follows is what he taught them. It wasn't what he said, it's really what he did. He came across Levi, Son of Alphaeus. And in, in the blue text up there, I wrote Matthew. Because this is Matthew's story. This is Matthew who wrote the very first gospel of the New Testament, Matthew. And he was sitting at the tax collector's booth doing what he did day in and day out. He was working. Now for many of us sitting in the room, in the 21st century, we have no clue what a tax collector is. Well, we kind of do. They take money from your pockets. In my pockets, they have none, right? But it, it goes much deeper than that. They're actually traitors to their people. They're not well-liked. In fact, they're hated. Why? Because the basis of their job is to reach into the pockets of the Jewish people 
and tax whatever they can possibly tax and make sure that Rome gets their money and how they make their living is whatever they can skim off the top from you. This is Matthew. He's a traitor, betrayer to his own people. In fact, in the Talmud, it actually says that it's righteous to lie to a tax collector. They teach you, those who are devout and religious, it's okay to lie to a tax collector because they are the worst. They prevent you from making a living, from getting two food on your table. Matthew was set up in Capernaum. Capernaum's on that king's highway. In other words, it's 75. I just told my wife on the way back from Michigan, I said, you know what? I just realized that all my life, I've lived by the river of asphalt called I-75. I grew up in the suburb of Tennessee, which is like 15 minutes to 75, 15, 20 minutes to 75. I went to Williamsburg, Kentucky, which is literally right off 75. I lived in Piqua, which is literally right off 75. And here we are in Wapakoneta, right off 75. Matthew basically puts up gates on 75 and says, whoa, 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 I'm going to tax your car. I'm going to tax the food in your car. I'm going to tax your gas. And, you know, how many people you got in a car? I'm going to tax all them so I can, I can make a living. That's Matthew. He's at the center and the crossroads of commerce. And Jesus took this crowd and his disciples, walking along the way, as he would do, and he taught them. He taught them because he talked with Matthew. That's what he was teaching them. Now notice what he said at the very end of this whole episode. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. I read that correctly this time. This is where church folk, churchgoers go, Yeah, yep, yep. Jesus has come to call the sinner. That's who we're supposed to go to. That's what we're supposed to do. Jesus flips the tables, turns it, flips it upside down. The Pharisees asked the question to the disciples, saying, hey, why is he eating with those folks? Why is he identifying with this tax collector and the sinners? Why is he hanging out with prostitutes and the destitute, the looked over and left over? Why is he doing that? Jesus overhears this conversation and says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let me answer your question. Don't ask my disciples. Let me answer for myself. It's the sick who need the doctor. But everybody in the room, from disciples to the experts on God, to the tax collectors, prostitutes and the destitute, guess what? 
None of them are righteous. Not one. Paul quotes the Old Testament. says, there's no one righteous. Not even one. So Jesus, looking around in the room, threw a lot of shade, didn't he? Turned the tables, didn't he? He said, there's... I've come for the sinner. Jesus is the only one righteous in the room. And so the experts on the laws were taught. The crowd was taught. The disciples were taught. Though they may look different than you are, though you may look down on them, Though you condescend, guess what? We're no better than they are. Jesus levels the ground, doesn't he? But I think it's very interesting that not only did Jesus turn the tables, but Matthew put a leaf in his table. It says that while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, The Gospel of Luke says he threw a great banquet for Jesus. Levi put the leaves in his table because Jesus turned the tables in his life. Helped him see life from a completely different advantage point. Do you realize Matthew was hungry for God? Though he'd been a betrayer and a traitor to his people, left out of the synagogue, unable to go worship God at the temple, he was hungry for Jesus. He was hungry for God. He was hungry to connect. And it just took a moment with Jesus walking by and said, follow me. Come here after me. So he goes into the closet pulls out the leaves of his table. I don't think they had leaves in their table because I'm pretty sure they were rocks. That was a joke. You could laugh. It's okay. Okay, don't tell that joke ever again. Okay, gotcha. Thank you. Message received, folks. But he opened his table. He opened his home. Not only Jesus and the 12 disciples, but he opened to his friends. Because some of his friends were following Jesus because they were hungry for Jesus. They were hungry for something different. They were hungry than anything different than the experts of the law had to offer ever. They were looking for intimacy with God. They were looking for meaning in their life. And they found it in Jesus. Folks, why are we talking about this in our Forward 23 vision? Why does this make any sense? People are the priority. You, sitting here, at some point in your life, you were priority for somebody to care for and share the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will never forget the party that we had in the dorm room. Beer and alcohol were flowing. And I couldn't have been more embarrassed about what happened. 
R.A. walked into the room after the invitation from some of the guys. They had put porn up on the TV, knowing full well that the R.A. was a believer in Jesus Christ. And as soon as he walked into that door, you could see his face drop, and he turned around and walked out. I took my beer and I went over and I sat and I knocked on his door and he invited me into his room. He was the RA. He should have busted me, by the way. Should have busted all of us. But he was there sitting in his room watching the LA Dodgers. And he said, Come on in. And I sat with Kenny, embarrassed at what transpired. I was horrified. Because all he did was love us. And he loved me in that room. A year later, Kenny was one of the reasons I received Jesus Christ in my life. Jesus turns the tables. He always says there's room for one more. I would like for us, for you and I, to leverage where we live so lives can change. So that we can put more leaves in the table and open the table. And people can sit with Christ and commune with Him. He even says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will let them in and we will eat together. Because there's room for one more. There's always room for one more. You were one more. I was one more. And folks, there are a lot of one mores out there. So, we will reintroduce <laughs> we are reintroducing Backyard Nation parties to leverage where you live. Many of you have put stickers where you live. This is symbolic of your Capernaum. Where you live. Some of you are right here in Wapakoneta, but many of you are not. As you can see by this regional map, all the way up north to Van Wert and Delphus, all the way to the south to Piquet and Sydney, to the east by Bell Fountain, to the west by St. Mary's, and then some. If you haven't put your sticker on there, I would ask that you put your sticker on there. If you're from Wapak, your map's over here. If you're from anywhere else but Wapak, your map's over here. Come up and grab one later on today. What's a backyard nation party, you ask? Thank you for being so inquisitive, because you're an amazing group of people. Well, 
one. You're literally and very simply throwing a party in your backyard. If you don't have a backyard, use your front yard. Use your house if you don't have a front yard or a backyard. This is not a one and done. This is low and slow. Several parties over the summer, over several summers. Several parties over the summer, over several summers, May to October. And you're simply throwing a party. You're inviting people within your neighborhood to come and hang out, to eat food, to get connected. You know, the rate of how many people are actually working from their home has tripled from 2019 to 2021, from about 5.7% to over 17%. COVID has isolated our nation. We are designed for relationship, for friendship. So on the simplest level, if, it, if nothing else happens, as you invite and people show up, you know what? Neighbors get to connect with neighbors. They get outside of their house and they get face-to-face -face with human beings. But as you're praying, it moves further. As you're hanging out with neighbors and you're listening to their stories and you're asking them questions about their family, you find out that there are some families that, that have some needs that maybe, just maybe, you and your family might be able to provide or you can coordinate with other neighbors and begin to care for them in ways they've never been cared for before. But if, 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 that, if only those two things happen, that's a win in my book. But you know what? We want to push in and go further. Because you, loving the Lord Jesus Christ, who are light and salt, and who want to bring hope to your communities and where you live, you're seeking spiritual conversations, and when the door opens, you seize them. No, you're not, you're not shoving the Bible on, into their throat. You're just having spiritual conversations. Because from Matt, Mark chapter 2, we realize that there's a lot of people who are hungry, who are hungry for God who have questions, who just desire intimacy with their Creator, and they have not had those conversations. Congratulations. You're going to seek and seize those spiritual conversations. And when you have those spiritual conversations, or when even you don't, you speak Jesus into their life. If those are the only things that happen, that's a victory in my book. Several parties over the summer, over several summers. It's low and slow. It's not one and done. Hopefully, there'll be moments where you can invite them. Not to Wapaknaz. No. We want them to Jesus Christ. Now, byproduct of knowing you, that this being a place where they connect with, over a period of time, several years, several parties, they get to know you, guess what? You are now an outpost of the kingdom of God. 
You are a center. You are a Capernaum in their community where love and care and hope happens and is distributed. You become a dealer of hope and salt and light and love right in your own neighborhood you're leveraging where you live. You know that smiley face, that blue smiley face that you put up on the map. And yes, at some point, you can use the cards to invite them into church, but we want to invite them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. All those can happen simultaneously at the same time. Who knows? But I guarantee you, if you take up this banner and you run with it, and you commit to it, and you're consistent with it, you will have spiritual conversations. You will be able to pray over people's lives. You will be able to provide for them. And you will see people come to Jesus Christ. All because you're simply throwing a party in your neighborhood. From May to October, every year, for the next couple years, several years. Not one and done, low and slow. Relationship building. If you this has any interest in you if if it even has one percent interest one just one percent i'm not asking for any more if you have just one percent interest i'd like you to be my neighbor to come to the mr rogers sessions it's an hour the dates are april 24th at 6 p.m or April 25th at 6 p.m. or April 29th at 10 a.m. That's a Saturday. You haven't noticed. You can sign up at wapaknaz.org. This is where we're going to go over details. We're going to have conversations. We're going to go over some standards and expectations. Right? This is what you do and this is what you you don't do. Okay? Because it is a function of the church, right? But we... As Wapak Nas, we want to be your backyard nation party outfitter. You know when you go to an outfitter like Cabela's or REI, they outfit you with the tools that you need, right? The resources, the trekking poles and the backpack and the, 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 the water filter and all those things that you need to go camping and hiking. We want to outfit you to throw your party. You know what? We're a tithing church, and as a tithing church, it allows us to be a missional church. A collective group of people put into their resources, and they're honoring God with their godly portion, their reasonable portion, and it enables us to be a missional church, to do things in our communities and in our neighborhoods. If you have 1% interest, go ahead, pull out your phone right now. Sign up. If not, you can sign up at the kiosk out there. You can see Mr. Rogers chin on the picture just click sign up let us know which date you would like to be a part of the 24th the 25th or the 29th it's an hour it's only an hour of your time it's all i'm asking you got one percent interest check us out but as you and i have really focused in on prayer and people and the condition of their soul. Because the condition of people's soul is so important. Yet we need to be cognizant that we actually gather here 
on a Sunday morning on the corner of Court and Benton Street. 401 Court Street. And the White House on Wednesdays. 405 Benton Street. We're very aware that we gather in a physical building. This building that we have ministry in most of the time, but some of our ministries out in the community. Back in 1925, don't worry, it's not going to burn in the oven, okay? You're all right. My stomach's grumbling just along with yours, okay? Back in 1925, two families, the Kennedys and Daigles, got together in the fall, began to pray, pray together. That's all they did. I would assume there was food because, well, Nazarenes gather and there's food. But they prayed. In the spring of 1926, they came together for a revival. And they chartered this church with six new members. They just started with six people. Two families, six people. Wapakoneta, the Church of the Nazarene, existed for the first time in 1926. The people pulled together their tithes over the course of the next year. And they purchased property right here on the corner of Court and Benton Street in 1927. This is a picture of the, the church in the 1940s. In 1941, men of the church began to dig. They dug a basement, which is our basement behind you. They dug a huge hole. Filled it in with a sanctuary. Really cool. Finished that in 1943. That became Wapakoneta Church of the Nazarene's first sanctuary. Less than 10 years later, they started a new effort. They began to build on top of that sanctuary. They harvested trees from one family's farm and milled it at another family's mill. Men and women, after the day's work in the fields, convened right here at the corner of Court and Benton Street and put their backs to work to build the second sanctuary, which is now our Adventure Cove, where our kids go up to and be ministered to and worship and learn Scripture and pray. In 1969... The Lamar home, Virginia Lamar's home, she's back here in the corner here. You can wave. Hi. This is West Virginia. In 1969, the Lamar home and the DeBell home were acquired, meaning the church had them. The White House, which is the Lamar home, is where our youth group, where you guys hang out every Wednesday night and they have ministry. In 1979, the DeBell home stood right here, and it was leveled. It was leveled so that this sanctuary could be built, dedicated in March of 1980. 43 years. Oh, I'm missing some pictures. Upstairs and this sanctuary. However much fun we, we poke at the color of the carpet in the pews. That committee 
who chose the pews and the carpet. They made a wise choice because this has lasted 43 years. So thank you. Thank you. Today, I'm really stoked. I'm so excited to announce to you that we are going to revitalize this sanctuary. Wall to wall, floor to ceiling. Revitalization 2023. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Yeah. The revitalization team has been meeting for well over a year. Curious who the, the revitalization team, these are current board members, leadership team members, and previous leadership team members. Across the generations, millennials, Gen Xers, and boomers. All have been meeting over the course of a year to really figure out what is priority, what is peripheral, and how to phase this out. So, I'm proud to announce to you that we're still working on this and we're moving forward. Phase number one is going to be the sanctuary. It will include, but is not limited to, carpet, pews, platform, sound booth, lighting, And you're waiting for it. Yes, the sound system. (laughs) The awkward sound system is where we got Embrace the Awkward from in the first place. So our first phase is going to be this entire sanctuary. I am excited. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) A little nervous here. Um, We have already signed a contract with Zach Harmon, Harmon AVL. Zach's reputation precedes him. He was at Lima Community uh, Church for several years as their sound and tech guy. And he took the risk to become his own entrepreneur. You can see and hear his work at our district center, at Spencerville Church of the Nazarene, and several other churches within our district. He is the one that's going to be renovating our sound system including the board the wiring the computers the projectors the screens and we're going to be able to have some sound into the main lobby i'm also excited that we have signed contract with after researching several construction companies and getting zero replies from a few of them We've landed on a reputable cons- contractor, M&W Construction out of Lima. If you're curious what kind of work they have been put forth, you can go to Dash and Joey's Uptown. You can go to Lulu's Uptown. You can go to Crave Creamery Uptown. You can go to Wine's Chocolates and Coffees Uptown. You can see their work because they're the ones that did the build-outs in all four of those facilities. Their reputation precedes them. They do many build-outs with Taco Bell. So they're our contractor, and they're going to be the liaison working with us to get this job done. And so we're really excited about what's about to transpire. The ball has been moving slowly and is now picking up momentum. We have just met with the architect to draw up plans to make sure that we're ADA regulated with certain aspects of what we're going to do here. But I'm really excited about what we're about to do. Phase two, because phase one 
let me just tell you, is the biggest hill that we have to climb. You might as well go big first, and everything else is cake after that, right? (laughs) I like to believe that. The next step is the main lobby. It will include, but not limited to, sound, carpet, bathrooms, the wall, a coffee area, a greeting area, a few TVs so that we can like put up promotionals. We want to open that lobby so that you can hang out and have conversation without having to move out of the way <laughs> and dodge people. We just want to open this area up. And phase, phase three is a north lobby to mirror the south lobby. And then other miscellaneous things. All along, our objective is to reno and revitalize our area. These three areas specifically. I'm excited about that. I'm looking forward to that. I think the time has come. And even some of our seniors have said, when are we doing this? When they say that, it's time. It's time. Folks, about three or four weeks ago, I sat in Superior Credit Union with Sandy Gessler and Ruth Smith in Bailey's office, actually. And uh, we signed a line of credit for $150,000. Let me kind of let you know. A line of credit allows us flexibility. A loan means you pay that loan back. A line of credit means you can withdraw whatever amounts that you need and only pay interest to for two years. So meaning this project, if it only runs $125,000, we're not having to pay a loan of $150,000. We're only paying on $125,000. After two years, it converts to a five-year loan at the interest at that time. But our goal is we pay as we go as much as we possibly can so that in two years, there is no loan. Now, you think that's a big hill to climb, but I received a message from Ruth when I was really tossing this back and forth and not sleeping and really anxious about this. She told me that we had a loan for the roof. And that, that loan, was that 300000 120. It was was a large loan. It was well over 100,000. You paid that loan off in five years. That was phenomenal. So can we do it? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. So this is where this little envelope comes to play. Folks, in all of this, I will not tell you as a pastor that renoing your place brings people to your church. It's not the way it works. You, you are the greatest reason people come to Jesus Christ. It's not the pastor and it's not the building. It's you. You. So I will never equate a renovation with people coming to salvation. It's just not how it works. Even Jesus talked about the temple. 
going down in 70 AD as his disciples were in awe of the temple. Folks, you are a temple of the living God. So, we need people to pray. We need you to pray over this project. I've never done this for a church. Some of you have, but we need to pray because we'll be interacting with a lot of people that will be coming in and out of this building doing a lot of projects. Architects, contractors, workers. You know what? They're important. We want to be above reproach. We want to be people of integrity throughout the whole process. So we need to pray and pray that we're able to save money. The other thing is, it's going to take a physical assistance from you and me. We do not have a start date yet. We're waking, waiting on architectural plans to be submitted, completed, and submitted to the state. As soon as they're completed and submitted to the date, uh, state, we will have a go time. Once we have a go time, we work ourselves backward because we're going to have to have some demo days. We need to put our backs, just like the people before us who built the sanctuaries that are behind us, we're going to put our backs and our muscles into it. That will include ripping out a sound booth carefully. That will include pulling up carpet on the platform carefully. That will include pulling up wood off the platform very carefully. That will also, that, those three, two things will save us about forty or $4,000, give or take. But then we're also going to need to do some things that won't save us any money but we have to do. It's literally pulling up this carpet, taking out the pews, demoing the pews to fit in dumpsters. If you want to pew, mark it because it's going to go. And then we're going to have to take out glue. There are a lot of projects that we're going to need to do, at least in this first phase. And I'm asking that you be flexible, that you be willing. If you are able to put your back and shoulders into it, we're asking for you. If you're not, would you at least be willing to bring some like coffee or water or food? That would be awesome. So we're going to schedule demo days. Not sure when that's going to happen. But not only are we going to need to back this with our physical backs and our shoulders, the goal is to not have a loan after two years. That's the goal. I think it's reachable. We're asking for you continue to tithe to honor God with what he's given you you can read it on the envelope so I would ask that you pull out your envelopes we give out of what God has given us to honor him with our tithes that's the reasonable portion that's the godly portion and as some know that's the 10% if you have never tithed in your life I challenge you challenge you to put God first, not only with your soul, but also with your finances. I fought, I kicked when I was a young believer in tithing. And eventually I stepped into it, and I never ever saw God not meet my needs financially. Ever. In fact, He blessed me in ways that I cannot even comprehend. That's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother day but I challenge you to put God first with your finances. 
If you haven't already started tithing, here's your opportunity. You can do that through the, the envelopes, through the joy box, or you can go online to wallpocknaz.org backslash give. But then there's that remaining 90%. This is the area called generosity. This is where God pushes his people to be extravagantly generous with that 90%. In fact, God owns all 100%, not just the 10. And he wants you to honor him with all 90%. God teaches in Scripture that we plan generosity. We plan it. We plan it in our life. So I'm asking that you plan generosity. That you not only put your prayer in this, that you invest yourself in prayer, that you invest yourself in your energy, but you invest yourself in your finances. For those of you who have been of, uh, of the old guard giving to capital improvement, that line, that title has changed. This revitalization is called Next Steps Fund. Capital improvement doesn't sound all that pretty, but Next Steps means we should always be taking next steps, not only in our finances and investment here, but even in our spiritual walk. So the Next step Fund will be that revitalization that will go directly to this project, the sanctuary and the lobbies. I really encourage you to pray over this and to see what God may lay on your heart to give as we go. It's going to be, hopefully, we'll have a complete reno by the end of 2024, and by the end, or 2023, and by the end of 2024, front end 2025 we will not have a loan that's my hope that's my prayer i'm excited about that i am stoked as you can tell i was a little nervous telling that to you we need to pray that we're unified you need to pray that we're unified in faith in vision and mission so would you please stand with your envelopes in hand. I'd like for you to just bow your heads for just one moment. Dinner's almost ready. And I would like for you to have a conversation with the Lord about your finances about your heart if you've never tithed before talk to him about that if you tithe talk to him about this generosity give you a few moments would you go ahead and pray Father, you've always been faithful. Faithful first to you, but also faithful to your people. When we take you at your word, you always come through. Sometimes it may not look the way we want to, but when we trust you, when we trust you with 
our heart and our mind and our soul. We are given life. Not only in this life, but the next. When we trust you with our all, it gets really, really hairy and really, really messy. But God, you've always come through. I ask that you speak into our people. And I ask that you move in their life and that they begin to stretch their faith. And I'm not just talking about this project, Lord. talking about invitation to you leveraging their where they live talking about spiritual conversations about praying being people with prayer praying people will you move among us in each and every aspect of what we do and may we be the church that you had in mind when you birthed the church father we commit all of the vision to you And if we need to pivot, may we pivot and be flexible. But ultimately, Lord God, I ask that we are a unified people. Unified by the blood of Christ. Unified by the the mission of Christ. Unified in our faith, in our vision, in our mission. And that we are a people who are loved people, loving people to Jesus. Simple as that. Bind us and open up our eyes to the opportunities around us. I love you, Jesus, and I thank you. I'm excited for the lives that will be transformed because of this group of people. It is in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Folks, I appreciate you being with me for the long-winded aspect of this. I love you. I'm so excited for you. May you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And will you please, please, please love your neighbor as yourself. We'll see you later this week. Thank you for listening to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope you are moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you. And that you are moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.